Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. I just arrived in Las Vegas, where I will be spending the next eight days. I actually have two conferences here. I have the SALT conference, the Skybridge Alternative Asset Conference, that really kicks off uh, tomorrow, though there is a welcome reception tonight. And then I do the Las Vegas Money Show, which kicks off on Monday. So I'm here for quite some time. I haven't even unpacked my bags, though. I wanted to record a short podcast to comment mainly on the recent market volatility. The stock market was way down on Monday morning. Of course, the sell-off started in the futures markets on Sunday night, where the Dow was down over 500 points, the Dow futures at one time. I don't know if it was quite 600, but it was down over 500. But by the time we opened, the Dow was only off about 450, and the dip buyers came in, and they bought the market all day, and we closed near the highs, although we couldn't close positive. I think the Dow was only off about 70 points. And so the the buyers came in, as they are trained to do, right? They bought the dip. And what caused the initial sell-off was a pair of tweets. I guess the two tweets were related. A lot of times when Donald Trump sends out a tweet, he he has a lot of stuff in there. And so he will will send out two tweets to, to make the same message. And what happens is he basically said that he was going to impose more tariffs on China. He basically tweeted that by this Friday, he is going to up the 10% tariffs to 25%. So Americans who are now being taxed 10% for buying some Chinese goods, if they buy those Chinese goods starting on Friday, they're going to have to pay a 25% tariff on those goods. And he also tweeted that he was going to apply the 25% tariff 
to goods that right now aren't paying any tariff. So there's still a lot of Chinese goods that Americans could buy without being subject to the tariff. But Trump is now saying that that's going to go away because at the end of this week, he's going to hit those goods. And so Americans pretty much buying any Chinese products are going to have to pay a 25% tariff. Now, of course, Donald Trump thinks these tariffs are great because he believes the Chinese pay them, which, of course, is not true. The tariffs are added on here in the United States. So it's the American consumers who pay those tariffs. Now, it can hurt China because if the higher prices cause fewer Americans to buy Chinese goods because they don't want to pay the higher price, well, then China doesn't get to sell its goods in America. Well, it has to sell those goods someplace else. Maybe it won't get quite as much money as it was getting from the Americans if it has to sell in a different market. Or maybe the Chinese citizens will end up buying those products themselves, in which case you know they end up getting a good deal. Uh, but Americans are the real losers because Americans either have to pay the tariff to buy the Chinese product and pay a higher price, or they just go without the product and maybe they buy an alternative product that's more expensive than the one they were buying from China, or they simply go without the product at all. But nonetheless, Donald Trump is convinced that tariffs are a good thing and that we're winning the trade war. Well, apparently the trade war is about to be escalated. And if you keep score and if you're measuring victory based on the size of the trade deficits, we're losing this trade war because we have the biggest trade deficits in, in U.S. history. Now, remember, as I've been saying on this podcast, I never believed that we were going to get a trade deal, let alone the great trade deal that Donald Trump was always promising. And one of the reasons that I was so convinced that we weren't going to get a trade deal is because I knew that whatever deal we got, it would never live up to expectations. And so I think from Trump's perspective, it's better not to have a deal at all than to have a deal that disappoints uh, expectations. So better to have that carrot to wave in front of the markets of this great deal and never actually deliver the deal if you're going to deliver something that doesn't live up to the hype. And I'm not really sure maybe what was going on with these negotiations. Now I'm hearing talk about the fact that the Chinese had basically made some concessions, but now they've taken them back. And I don't know if they ever actually made them in the first place. So who knows what happened to cause Donald Trump to have to uh, come out with those tweets. But obviously the markets had risen many, many times on the rumors of a deal. A deal is right around the corner. Negotiations are going great. This is going to be the greatest deal ever. And every time Trump leaked that, the markets would buy into that. And again, I was always saying, too, that if we ever got a trade deal, even if it met expectations, it would still be a buy the rumor, sell the fact. But if it didn't live up to expectations, then it would really be a sell the fact. Or in fact, they would be selling because the rumors didn't live up to the fact. The disappointment would have been huge. Uh, but now we're not getting any deal at all, potentially, uh, because obviously, you know, there is still the, the prospect of a deal, right? It hasn't been completely called off. But it seems to me that if we were on the cusp of a deal, Trump would not be turning up the pressure. The fact that he is doing this makes me think that the odds of a deal are slim. And in fact, if they were close to a deal, I don't think the Chinese are going to respond well uh, to this type of threat. So the markets obviously have to start pricing in the fact that there's not going to be a deal. 
And if that's the case, there is a lot of downside. Now, I mentioned that yesterday, even though we had the big drop, the buyers came in. Well, today, the sellers came out in force, and we closed below yesterday's low. Now, we didn't close on the low of the day. The Dow was off 473 points. Uh, At one time, we were down about 650 with about a half hour left to go. That was the low of the day. And then we got some buying on the close. But to me, that looks negative. I mean, it may be if you would have said there was a washout, if we would have closed on the exact low or a bigger drop. But it seems that some buyers did come in on the close. But obviously, anybody who bought yesterday, if they didn't sell on the close, is underwater on that buy. And I think technically, things are not looking good for the market. And as I commented on my podcast last week, I thought when Fed Chairman Powell disappointed the markets last week on Wednesday, when he wasn't as dovish as the markets expected, right? He came out and he said that the low inflation that we have is transitory. And that's not what the market wanted to hear. The market wanted to hear, oh, we're really worried about this low inflation and maybe we'll cut interest rates because the markets were starting to price in some rate cuts. But uh, Powell came out and said, no, 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 I'm not worried about this low inflation because I'm confident that inflation is going to come back up. And he's right. It is transitory. Inflation is going to come back up. It's just that it's not going to stop at 2%. It's going much higher than that. But what the market still haven't figured out is it doesn't matter how high inflation goes. The Fed's still cutting rates. That is the problem. That is the problem for the dollar is that we're going to have stagflation. The Fed is going to ignore increasing inflation, and it's going to cut rates anyway. But the markets don't know that yet, and the Fed is not going to admit that, right, even though that's what it's going to do. But I mentioned on the podcast that when the Fed did that, to me, that looked like it might have set the top of the market because what set the low, what was the catalyst for this rally was the Fed getting more dovish. It went from we're going to keep hiking rates to we're finished hiking weights. It went from quantitative tightening is on autopilot to quantitative tightening is going to end over the summer. And so that shift where the Fed went from being hawkish to dovish, right, that started the rally. Well, this more recent shift where the Fed changed expectations again and disappointed the market by saying, hey, we're not as dovish as you think. We're not going to cut rates. That, I think, capped the market. And now uh, Trump coming in and taking away the prospects of this great uh, trade deal, well, that's like a one-two punch. And I think this a bear market rally, as I said, is over and we're going lower. Now, you might think, why would Trump uh, send out that tweet, right? Because he, he cares about the stock market. So why did he do that? Well, maybe this is Trump's plan. He waited for the stock market to make a new high, right? So we had a big rally. So we're kind of out of the danger zone, right? We had a big rally all the way back up to the top. And now, since Trump knows there's not going to be a deal, maybe the Chinese were getting close to walking away. Who knows? But now Trump you know, says, OK, we're going to put these tariffs on Chinese goods. There's no deal, knowing that the stock market's going to go down. But maybe what Donald Trump's plan is, is he's OK if the stock market goes down from here because it's at record highs. 
And maybe what he's thinking is if the stock market goes back down again to the vicinity of the bear market lows, right, bear market territory, which is where the Fed basically cried uncle, that if the market goes back down there, maybe that is the catalyst for the Fed to cut rates, which is exactly what Donald Trump wants the Fed to do. Because I think Trump knows that the only chance he has of postponing the onset of this recession until beyond the 2020 election is to get the Fed to preemptively cut interest rates and launch QE4, right, which is something that Trump also says he wants. I think he realizes that the only way that this is going to happen is if the Fed is preemptive and cuts rates before the recession starts, right? If it waits until after the recession starts, then Trump's toast. But if the Fed can act preemptively, then maybe they can delay the onset of the recession. So maybe that is his plan, because if the stock market tanks because of the um, the absence of a trade deal and higher tariffs, right, that could be what the Fed needs to cut rates, because now it'll be looking at the stock market, which the, the Fed cares about the stock market. I mean, it looks at the stock market as uh, you know, an indicator of the economy. And after all, it created the recovery based on the wealth effect. And so if we have a reverse wealth effect, the Fed is going to be worried about the effects that that's going to have on personal spending. In fact, we got some data that came out today on consumer credit, which uh, was a big disappointment for people who are looking for consumers to go deeper into debt. We saw a big retrenchment in credit card use. And that you know makes sense to me because everybody is tapped out. I'm seeing all the evidence that the consumer is at the end of the line here, that they've borrowed about as much as they can. And while it's a good thing that consumers are borrowing less, uh, it's not a good thing from the Fed's perspective because the Fed wants the consumer to keep spending. And since the consumer has you know a lousy income, uh, their wages have been stagnant while the cost of living has been going up and they're loaded up with so much debt based on all the stuff they bought in the past that they really couldn't afford. The only way they can keep spending in the future is if they continue to borrow money. And if they're not doing that, that's going to worry the Fed. But the reverse wealth effect is going to worry the Fed. You know, one of the biggest ironies, I was reading these articles about how the Federal Reserve is starting to publicly act concerned about the increase in corporate debt and kind of warning about the potential problems uh, down the road from this increase in corporate debt, which, of course, is ridiculous because the only reason that corporations have borrowed so much money was because the Fed made it so enticing. The Fed kept interest rates artificially low, specifically so corporations would keep borrowing money. I mean, it makes no sense for the Federal Reserve to now be upset that corporations did exactly what the Fed wanted the corporations to do, right? It's like the Fed's the bartender, it liquors everybody up and then complains that there are too many people that are drunk. I mean, again, how, why are they drunk? Because the Fed poured all that alcohol and if the Fed didn't want uh, everybody to get drunk, then it should have closed the spigots. It should have shut down the bar and said the bar is still open. Corporations continue to borrow because the Fed continues to make it cheap. But again, if the market tanks because the trade deal is pulled away, then that gives the Fed a reason to cut rates. And that's what I think Trump wants. Uh, he wants rates to be cut. Uh, and this may be a way to get the Fed to do that. But as I said from the beginning, that's not enough, right? AI said that when the Fed takes away future rate hikes, that's not going to be enough 
to save the market. And the first rate cut isn't going to do it either. I mean, the Fed's going to have to go all the way back to zero. The Fed's going to have to launch full-out QE4. Now, I'm not really sure how much further the market's going to have to go before we get to that point. But the Fed is going to have to pull out all the stops to try to reflate this bubble. But even then, I don't think it is going to work because the dollar is going to tank. I know it hasn't done that yet. I think people are still oblivious. But just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it's not going to, right? The market is still like a deer in the headlight when it comes to understanding what's going on. And I think it's going to take a lot more than the Fed just not hiking rates. We're going to have to see the cuts. We're going to have to see the return to QE. And the markets fall anyway. And the economic data uh, decline anyway. Because as as I just mentioned, Trump probably believes that if the Fed cuts rates and starts QE, that it will postpone the recession until after the 2020 election. I still don't think it'll work. I mean, it might. I mean, there's a better chance of it working than if they wait till after the recession starts, but it may not work. It may blow up even before the election based on a weak dollar, based on a pickup in uh, inflation, and maybe even a pickup in long-term interest rates as the bond market vigilantes finally wake up and you know understand what all this means, that all this money printing, these massive deficits are not bullish for bonds, that people shouldn't be buying bonds in response to what the Fed is doing. They should be buying gold. Yet, you know, gold was barely up today. I mean, gold was up, what, 4 or $5? I mean, gold is still well below 1300 And, you know, the dollar was relatively flat today. So at least we didn't see a big, you know, flight to the dollar, but we didn't see anybody running from the dollar. So people still haven't figured this out. But don't wait for them to figure it out, right? You need to figure it out yourself. I mean, obviously, if you're a client of mine, you've already figured it out and you, you know, you've positioned yourself properly. But if you're not, you know, don't wait much longer. I mean, it's not going to take much more evidence. I mean, yes, I mean, there's writing on the wall that lots of people should already be able to read. But, you know, the typical investor is pretty blind. I mean, it's going to have to be in neon flashing in all caps right in front of them before they figure it out. But when the crowd figures it out, it's too late. You need to get in prior to uh, to the crowd. Uh, One more thing, though, I did want to mention in addition to the markets, I I did get some feedback from my last podcast and one email in particular I thought I would address from one of my clients, actually, uh, regarding some comments I made about women in sports, particularly in tennis, because I was talking about Stephen Moore, who, who, by the way, is going to be here at uh, SALT Conference. He's one of the speakers, so I'm looking forward to chatting with him about his ordeal uh, uh, with as a, uh, as a potential Fed nominee. But I was talking about some of the comments that Steve Moore made about women's sports, and one of the things that I mentioned was tennis. And I mentioned tennis as an example of women doing less but being paid the same as men because when women play tennis, they play the best of three sets and the men play best of five. So the men are actually on the court longer playing more sets, yet they don't get paid any more than the women. They get paid the same amount, meaning that women are actually being paid more uh, than men to do the same work. But uh, my client pointed out that one of the reasons that women are paid more than men 
is because women's tennis is actually more popular than men's tennis, which, you know, makes some sense to me because, I mean, I actually like watching women's tennis as well. Uh, when you watch women's tennis, they usually have much longer rallies, right? So the points last a lot longer. So some people uh, find that game more interesting to watch women uh, play tennis. Um, and so it's a bit of a different game. The men generally have quicker points, not always. And that means, you know, even though they play uh, fewer games, uh, the games may last longer uh, than, than the men's games. But the women's games are popular. And, you know, so that's a reason why they're able to make more money. But... I wanted to touch on that because it's more proof, again, that the free market works, right? Because if women players are um, attracting a bigger audience, if advertisers want to advertise when women are playing tennis because of the demographic of the people who are interested in watching them play, then women are going to get paid what they're worth. I mean, Everybody gets paid what they're worth in a free market. And, you know, a couple of other examples where women are paid more than men. I mean, maybe I've mentioned this in the past. I forget. But um, look at fashion models. I mean, women are paid so much more than men. I mean, there are plenty of male models out there, right? I mean, you can have a female model and a male model in the same shoot. They can do the exact same amount of work. And the woman is going to make a lot more money than the guy. Right? Now, why is that? I mean, if, if people could just discriminate, right? If, if people are a bunch of bigots and they just underpay women because they're women, if there really is this gender gap, why do women fashion models make so much more than men fashion models? I mean, why don't the uh, people who hire models just exploit the women? I mean, if it's so easy to do, if employers could just underpay women because they're women, well, why don't they just underpay fashion models? Right? I mean, you know, now, and the same thing is true in other areas. What about the pornography, right? The, the women that appear in porn are paid much more than the guys. I mean, they could do the exact same scene, right? I mean, one guy, one girl, and they're on camera for film, whatever, for the exact same length of time. Now, you can argue, you know, who does more work, but... The women are paid so much more than the men. I mean, maybe some of the men just do it for fun. They might do it for free. But the reality is, you know, the women get paid a lot more money. Why? Why don't these porn producers just exploit these women and underpay them, right? If it's so easy, there's such a big gender gap. Why is there no gender gap there? The reason is because you can't do it. The free market won't let you do it because if you want to hire If you want to shoot a porn and you need to hire women, there are other people that are shooting those things and they need to hire women and they bid against each other. And maybe the supply of men who are willing to do that is much greater. And probably since it's men who are paying for it, or again, I think I've mentioned this on on my podcast, I, I, I would like to meet the guy that actually pays for porn. I can't imagine somebody who has run out of porn, who watches so much porn that he's run out of all the free porn that's on the internet. And now he has to start paying for it. But apparently those guys are there, right? But there's probably no women who are paying for it. And so it's the women who are in demand. And so they get paid more. And with the fashion models, you know, it's probably the same dynamic. It's the women who people are who care about. The guys are just a prop. I don't think most people, you know, most of the, the, um, the ads uh, that have all these, you know, supermodels, I think they're targeting women. And the key is how does the women look? Because it's the woman who's buying the products and you know, the, the, the women are much more 
important than the men. I mean, the men are just kind of an afterthought. They're, they're, they're just kind of part of the scenery in high fashion. But this is all the free market, right? People can't underpay you. So the same thing is true, right? In all occupations, right? Nobody can underpay women because somebody else would hire them and pay them more. So the problem is what government is trying to do. If, you know, I think the Democrats get in, I could really see this happening if they get in charge, which could easily happen in 2021, right? And they start, you know, checking all the boxes from all the laundry list of uh, demands that they have out there. And one of them is maybe to mandate uh, this uh, equal pay for equal work, which, of course, it's not equal work. And what they're going to be doing is they're going to be mandating that employers overpay women. Right? And this applies to male and female employers, but basically if you're going to hire a woman, you're going to have to pay them more because the only way to close the gender gap is to overpay women because in a free market, whatever gap is there is there for a reason. Everybody is being paid what they're worth. So if women are being paid less than men, it's because they're worth less than men in that particular job. And when I say they're worth less than men, they are less productive than men for whatever reason. And maybe, again, they're taking their compensation in non-cash ways so it doesn't show up in the statistics, right? They're getting more time off. They're having more flexible schedules, whatever it is. But the market is always going to pay people according to their productivity, right? That's just that, that's what the market does. And to the extent that the government tries to interfere and tries to force employers to pay women more than their productivity, to overpay women, then that legislation is going to have adverse effects on the economy in general, but on women in particular, as it just creates another reason for employers to avoid hiring women because they don't want to be forced to overpay them and they don't want to be dragged into a lawsuit uh, in case they don't. Mm-hmm.